Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter Podcast. Got a very special guest today. Tab, how you doing, my friend? I am doing phenomenal. Thanks for having me, Thomas. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, I am. And for the listeners listening, Tab's coming early because I've got some stuff going on in the land of uh, recruitment, which re- requires some attention. So Tab's very kindly coming into the studio early and he's got his rather large dog with him that may or may not disturb us mid-session, but we'll see how we go, Tab, eh? Hey, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, so just for the listeners, just to tell you all a bit about his Tab Pierce started off back in 1995 in Federal Network Services as a regional sales manager, then went on to be Director of Sales at ID Certify. He was then Vice President of Sales and Marketing at MindPoint. Tab then went on to be Vice President of Business Development at IO Active. He was then CEO of the Scion Group back in 2005 for about two and a half years. He then went on to be Director of Business Development for Security Innovation. He was then Director of Business Development for Concert LLC. He was then Chairman of the National Information Security Group. He was then Founder and CEO of Refiners. He was then Chairman of 3P&T Security Recruiting. At present, these are all roles that um, Tab holds simultaneously. So at present, he's an advisor for Traitware, and that's a role that he's had for over five years. He's also an advisor for Drug-Free Business. That's a role that he's posted his hold for almost five years. He's also an author. The book is called Upsurge, Wreckage to Triumph, Rebuilding Your Personal and Business Life. He's also the managing member of Networked Live. And finally, he's the CEO of Caliber Security Partners. Tab, you must be a busy man. It's funny when you read that, I just, my face starts hurting from laughing. It's just somewhere in, in there might be some cool stuff. I'm glad you started in 95, not in 87 when I actually started this career in life and all that stuff. But yeah, man, I, I, I got some cool stuff going on and some of it sounds cool and all in between. And I try not to take myself too seriously because all I need is someone to read that crap enough times. I'm going to be like, damn, I'm a big deal. But I know the truth. So there you go, man. <laughs> all your listeners know that I know the truth. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. And look, from the time that we've spent chatting offline, I know you're very successful, but you're also very down to earth and, and very humble. And for everyone listening, like, I'm going to start breaking the pod down into really technical episodes, leadership episodes, and also really entrepreneurial episodes within security. And this one, I like your story tab. I like the fact there's nothing better than like someone that's been through some tough times, prevailed, had successes, and there's a lot to, to unpack here today. And I know me and you have, have chatted about it before, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. I think there's a lot that the listeners can take from you. I'll start where I always start though, buddy. And if you can tell us what you're up to on a day-to-day basis, what I know you've been busy with some fairly large events recently, but yeah, if you can tell me what you're up to at the minute, that'd be great. Sure. <clears throat> There's a lot always going on in my life. And thankfully I have a wife that likes to have a lot going on in her life. 
and we work together. A lot of times people are like, man, how do you have a, how do you have a personal and social life? It's, oh, we just, we go to the gym together. We work together. We work side by side. So that kind of really plays in nicely to being able to work lots and lots of hours. But my focus is really, first and foremost, Caliber Security Partners. It's a 14-year-old security services firm. And we've had various levels of success over the years. I'm sure we'll get into some of that. And then Network Live, which we've talked about, which is one of, which is a very large business networking relationship community. And we do summits or conferences with that. And that ends up taking a lot of my time. Yeah. So those are the things that I do on a daily basis and try to do the juggling act. And sometimes I'm a great juggler. And sometimes I just watch the eggs on the floor and just walk away and just go screw it. They're, br- they're busted. Yeah. Cool. Tom. So Cal- let's start off with, with Caliber Security. Can you tell us a bit about what the business does, what it, what problems it aims to solve, and, and the overall solution it provides to, to, to your customers? Yeah, it's interesting because I've been involved with security since 98, and I love it when people that don't know what's going on, they come up and they'll go, man, this is like a really cool, new, cutting-edge technology. And I'm like, man, forget it, cut. it's no longer cutting-edge. It's been around in my life for a long time. And when I first started we could walk in as a services company and early on if that was like network penetration testing and later on as it morphed into things like source code reviews or various levels of pen testing, red teaming, social engineering, et cetera, et cetera. Early on, it was you'd walk in with into a large Fortune 500 company with people that look like they hopped off of the Matrix movie and people would be like, oh, they must know what they're doing. Now you got companies that are highly intelligent people. And so much of what we end up doing is that more that third-party validation of doing things like testing or helping with analysis of things and, and frankly, adding manpower. Just not that we're not that we are hugely smarter than anybody else in the room. It's just that They've got limited resources and they've got a, a certain thing they need to do. So they turn to us. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the, because the work we do is really cool. It's just very much, much more systematic than it ever was. That, that's pretty much what we're doing at Caliber these days. We're morphing and doing some different things that hopefully are going to play out to be really cool. But right now that's where we're at as we continually try to redefine ourselves. What was it actually like back then? Was it was it better? Was it worse? I'm imagining winning new business was probably easier because less people were doing it. I'd, I'd like to hear what it was actually like. It was the best thing. I look back and I'm like, it was different. I mean, the early on, the 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 people that did the work, and I can say this because they most of them are like, it's been a long time. But early on, the people that did the work were highly skilled, but flaky as hell. When you're, because I was a sales guy, if anybody took time to listen to that bio, I was a sales guy. So I was always used to the sales guy being like the, oh, the sales guy's going to say something. And then somebody engineering or somebody else has to come in and clean up the mess of the stupid thing the salesperson said. And it, it flipped where it was like, hey, we have this appointment at this large Fortune 500 company. They need to do all of these things. The appointment is in two weeks. Can you be there? Will you be there? Yep. Yes. All the way down, like I would end up selling the engineers to show up to the meeting. It was crazy. And then I would say, and and no jokes, there were times when I would say, hey, 
we have that meeting in an hour. Are you ready? Are you going to be there? And they would say, oh, you know what? Oh, man, I, I don't have my cars not working and this I can't get there. And I would say, no problem. I'm in your driveway. That's how bad it was. I freaking knew what was going on. So is it better? Is It's different. It's just different. The engineers now are much more significantly, drastically more professional. And the industry's matured. But early on, it, it was very few competitors. There was a company called At Stake that spawned a bunch of these uh, other companies. And they were really good. And I think what happened there is that they had enough talented people that when they were, when at stake was acquired by semantic, that a lot of them just went, I can go do this myself. And then that spun off a lot of characters, personalities that started companies. And it was very wild west early on. Yeah. I've got one of my clients that specifically says to me, Tom, I don't care how good they are. No divas. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of you know. yeah. We, when I started Caliber, I was like, I do not want any like rock stars working for us. And I didn't mean I didn't want rock stars. I didn't want people that thought they were a rock star. And that's the challenge. So your yeah, your client's been around long enough to have had the experience with the divas. Yeah, just you just meant you briefly spoke about hiring there, and I said not wanting divas, not wanting rock stars. For those people listening that, that want to progress or are moving around, what is your ideal profile that you look for? Yeah, because we're a smaller organization, we really need people that are experienced, people that that can really work with little supervision or guidance. And that's not because we don't want to employ less experienced people. It's just that we're so busy and we run a lean team, especially with the way the economy is right now. We run a, a really lean team. And so the idea of somebody that is newer or needs some guidance, they don't get it like they should from our teams. We have to hire people that are experienced. Now, we're, we're not a big company that that requires people to have certifications. We really want people with experience. But we also know that certifications are... And in some cases, for some clients, a comfort, right? And so we have to have some level of certifications for that. But really what we we look at, and I hate the term, I hate the idea of we're a culture-based company. We're a family. It's not, you're not, man. If, if things get bad, somebody's getting fired. You don't fire. Sometimes you fire family, but ideally you don't fire family. And we look at things like, what can we do to like really show our employees that that maybe we care above and beyond other people, other companies, but also really looking for maturity and, and people that are respectful. And really the thing I said when I hired, when I started the company was like, I really don't want any assholes working for me or working around me. That was a big deal where it's just, I don't expect anything close to perfection. I just don't want like the, the whole prima donnas or that. We look really closely at what's the type? Who's the person? And do they, I don't mind characters. I just want characters that are respectful. Now, listen, I'm with you. I was having a conversation recently because we're getting to the stage where we need, we're going to need to bring some more people in. And you do just think, like you said, you don't want to work with any assholes, any idiots. And also it's, I'm sure you're the same as me, whereby you've got some relationships that you've built over a long period of time. And you just think the 
thought of them getting tarnished or ruined or lost like it doesn't even bear their thinking about and and then also it's okay you can get we're looking at costs and stuff like that and then working some margins out but it's for me there's a certain type of person that if i'm around them i'm going to be like happy stimulated they're going to bring ideas to the table and yeah i think there's it's not like a straightforward we're going to make this we're going to make this there's, there's way more to it than that and i'm completely with you you've got to have fun and you? you got to have fun yeah. And you brought up a, a really important one that I didn't even mention. We, And I don't mean this. Anytime I use a buzzword or anything like that, I'm always thinking, I don't want people, I, I don't want to use buzzwords in that loosely, right? But that idea of ideas or creativity or ingenuity or whatever really, really matters to me because we've had situations where as a small team, if you have a leadership team and nobody has any level of initiative or ingenuity or ideas or any anything like that, it's a drain on you because you're like, hey, we can't keep doing what we're doing and expect to live the way we're living or maybe live at all. And so that those ideas for us are like really important. Definitely. Definitely. I think if, if I take it back to hiring for a minute, I think that's why hiring, it's just everything. When you're small, if you've got, if you've got 10 people, you're looking for you're looking for four or five more. That's 50% of your culture. It's absolutely ginormous. I think I think the hiring's even more important when you're smaller than for a larger company. I think they can they can swallow a few bad hires, but only take you know with 10 heads, 20 heads, it only takes a few bad hires just to ruin the whole thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and it can be one bad hire, right? It it can be one individual that can sour the entire thing. And We've had that where I'm like, oh my gosh, man, I got to work with this person a lot. And the last thing I want to do is work with them. And so you end up doing an end around. And if you're a small company, you only have so many people you can do an, you can go do an end around with. And we don't have anybody like that right now, thankfully, but we've, we've had that and it's not ideal, not fun. Tab, man, any I just don't imagine you to take any shit. Like I can just imagine that. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, but I don't imagine you to be a man that takes takes anything no, like that. No, I get really. There's a reason why I work for myself, and there's a reason why I'm an entrepreneur, and there's a reason why I don't work for corporate America. And that's, I've had one corporate job, and it lasted about two months before our group went through a layoff of one. I don't know why they didn't fire <laughs> me, but it was just I saw it coming because. I was way more outspoken than I should have been, but there it is. And it worked for me and, or it didn't at the time, but it was actually pretty cool. I'll say this. I, I worked there for two months, got a three month severance. And I looked at my wife and I was like, I just got to figure out how to rinse and repeat that, man. I'm like, there's got to be a factor of like at certain times when I'm like getting so much money flowing in because I'm, I'm on a three month kick, but she didn't think it was a good idea. So I had to go do something else. That's, that segues in really nice to what I want to talk about. So one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, Tab, I, I want the listeners to hear, and for everyone listening, Tab Pierce, please do check out his profile. This is a guy that's done really well. Tab, I look at you as a resilient, resilient chap. The first question I want to ask you is, I want to get into some tough times in shortly, but I just want to ask you, like, setting up a business, people listening that are thinking about setting up, maybe they've just set up, What's it like? Where where do you start? How, how do you transition from? If I'm a pen tester or a, if I'm thinking about doing, it, like, like, how does it all go down? 
I, I guess the thing I would say, and, and, and no matter any business I've ever started, and I've started a lot of them, is be as realistic and conservative as you possibly can. And no matter how conservative and realistic you think you are, you're probably not conservative and realistic enough. When I started Caliber, I had this idea of, I don't know, I've been doing this for years and I've got all these people that know me and I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. And I outlined what it was and my vision and everybody was like, oh, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. Hey, you guys going to do pen testing? Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to do pen testing. And because I need money and, and when, when you're first starting out and what happened was there was a lot of people that kind of had a, okay, great. We'll use you someday, but we're not going to be the first and we're going to, we're going to see if you're going to stick around. And so there was a lot of people waiting to see. So that, that start was brutal. And I remember going to my wife and just saying, Hey, this is like worst case scenario. Are you cool with it? And she's like, that scenario sucks. And I'm like, we're not talking about whether or not it sucks. We're talking about whether or not you're cool with it. And unfortunately for her, she said, I don't think that's going to happen. And, but yeah, let's go ahead. And worst case scenario happened. It all went down before we, you know, crashed and burned. We got some really good contracts and we were off to the races, but you really have to be prepared for anything and everything. And people will say, I need the money before I start the company. I started, I, I actually have, have bootstrapped other than the companies I've acquired, I've bootstrapped every one of them. And so people that will say, well, you know, I don't have the money to start. And I'm like, you have to have an idea. You have to have a belief and you have to have the ability to stay with it. And those three things are really hard for people, especially people that aren't open. If, if they're in a relationship and that relationship is important, if you're not clear and you're not concise and about what could happen, it, it could be really bad. And so you really have to go in with everything open. I have people all the time ask me like, do I start with a business plan? Do I do this? Do I do that? I'm like, man, I don't know. I've never written a bit. No, actually I did write a business plan. I'll take that back. I had a company approach me one time about 20 years ago and asked me to write a business plan for them. And they paid me $2,000. That's the only business plan I ever wrote. And I looked at it. I'm like, I can't believe somebody's paying me to write a business plan, but there's never a right time. You can look at the economy and go, it's the wrong time. Maybe not. It's, there's just, I'm a firm believer in, and just get in there and, and do it and just see, make sure that you're prepared and doing your best and that, and just be committed with it. Yeah, definitely. I think one point just to summarize for the listeners about, you said that, that I think is massively important is you said be clear and concise and you've had a really frank and honest conversation with your wife and i think that's so important because i'm thinking now like if i'm a senior pen tester or or, or whatever i'm ahead of i'm a i'm a c i'm probably earning a nice wage i've got my 401k so on and so forth and, and if that conversation with your partner isn't really honest and they're not supportive um it sounds like your wife was really good and really supportive and i know you work together now and i'm imagining that's played a massive factor over the years yeah we've had a lot of discussions about some of our our faults are the same fault. And so we'll go out and do stuff and we're like, 
Man, that was just a really dumb... We've been married for 36 years. We're not like spring, right? Spring chickens. But we'll go out and do something. We'll look at each other and go, man, that was a dumb freaking idea. And we'll sit there and say, one of us has to be the voice of reason. One of us has to do it. And we've never been able to figure out who, which one of us that is. And, and we got all kinds of stories about that. But like when I say, I, I went and said worst case scenario, it was... Like, hey, we're not going to have the money. I'd been, one of the companies I was with had been acquired and we had a little bit of money from that. Oh, we had a little bit of money from unemployment and the economy was back, the house, housing crisis was going on. And I was like, worst case scenario, we stop paying our mortgage six months from now. We'll go into foreclosure. We'll do a short sale. We'll do this. And she's, there is no way. And that's a horrible idea. That's exactly what happened. We rode the pony of it, pulling money from everywhere, not paying for it, riding that thing down to where it was going to get foreclosed on, doing a short sale, turning around and like, it was just nuts. And I look back and I'm like, man, one of us needs to be a little bit brighter, but it's led us to where we are now, which we would never have been to any of those places had we not been okay with a heightened level of risk. And so there's a lot to be gained from experience, even if it's stupid experience. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a pretty high risk tolerance between you, mate. <laughs> I sh at my age, I shouldn't, right? At my age, I shouldn't. But then I always go back to the fact of, okay, I'm 59 years old. In 59 years, how many times have I, have I not slept in a bed other than intentionally like camping? How many times have I not had a roof over my head? How many times have I not had food, had this... I always have. So I'm like, well, everything else is just whatever. And and so it's a constant state of that idea of this is whatever seemed like really good during good times. During bad times, it's that was a stupid idea. I like I like that thing about the, what you just said there about the better. What is the worst that, that can happen? You just start again and you, you make it happen the next time. And I actually read a book. I think it was actually called Fear because I was like getting bit anxious about stuff and worried about stuff and essentially the whole premise of the book was i'll handle it if it happens i'll deal with it and i handle it and that's the kind of attitude that that i'm getting from you and i think it can really help when it comes to success and one of the most difficult things that we have as humans is to allow ourselves to be logical and to force that logic into it and i'm no different than anybody else we get i'm like i got all this crap coming down on me from work at caliber from Network Live, I got, you know, thank goodness Calibers, I deal with corporations. When At Network Live, we deal with a lot of individuals. And I'm like, half the time I just want to go, man, how in the world can, can, do, you, do you not stop breathing at night? Like it, that, I would think that is like a conscious function for you is breathing. Man. And I hate to say that, but there, it's just different. And so we got this you know, the other night and it's like, all these things going on with Caliber, good, bad, it's always just stuff. But like we had two projects and for whatever reason lately, like our clients have been just like slow to get us what they need. And like one of them was like, okay, we finally got you the, we got you the stuff you need for the test. And it's going to be two weeks worth of testing. But, oh, by the way, next week is a blackout. We're doing this thing and you can't test. Yeah, you know, and so I got that, right? And then we got this other thing going on. Oh, so we got all these things and, and, and I'm just, it's, I'd been working for 15 hours. I was just coming back from the gym because I'm committed to going to the gym. I don't know, stupid idea. I'm going to get hit by a freaking car and then that whole gym idea is going to be dumb. But I'm on my way back from the gym and I'm with my wife 
And I go on to this whole complete bitch fest of this is wrong. This is wrong. And I finally went, wait a second. And I always tell myself this, like in the morning, am I really going to feel this way? And if I do feel this way, then we have real problems. But if, if what I have right now is just bitching and moaning, just get it out of your system. And sometimes I have to, yeah, yeah, we have to be, we have to force logic upon ourselves. And if we can do that, we'll be good. And I get my dogs all of a sudden looking out the back window, <laughs> like he's freaking master chief from, from halo. And he's about ready to go off. So your listeners, if they start hearing a 90 pound pit bull screaming, they'll know what's going on. I'm scared of your dog and I'm nowhere near you. So yeah. Yeah, Tab, it's like, do you know what, one thing about the pod, and I've heard this from other people that start podcasts, it's like, it ends up being really great for my own self-development, mate. And it's really nice to hear you say these things because it's like all these all these trials and tribulations and this going on and that's going on. Everyone thinks it's just happening to them or it's just their business or it's just, but it's not, it's everyone's. But so thanks for that. And I just want to talk about Network Live in a minute. For everyone listening, Network Live's been everywhere on the, certainly on linkedin there's been, been other places hey man that's my that's my fault man i'm the one doing <laughs> that i'm the one if it's an opportunity for me to spam it's and i got a whole story about what i learned from just like spamming the hell out of everybody it, it it's not what you would think so if you want to hear that one, your listeners yeah, might funny yeah, go on, go on. Let's go with that then. Go on. All right, man. I'll, t- I'll tell you real quick. So we're doing this conference. It's called Accelerate Business Growth Com- uh, Summit. It's on September 30th of last year. And I'm like trying to get people to, to come to Phoenix, Arizona to be there for it. And I'm like spamming it. I'm like flooding social media, right? Just like crazy. And I'm on Facebook and I, I have this professional dashboard, right? And I'm like, I'm going to piss so many people off that people are going to stop. They're going to unfollow me. They won't, or they won't unfriend me. They'll unfollow me because it's a simple way to get rid of tab without actually getting rid of them. And I kid you not, man, like month after month, I would be like, I, I went from 20 new followers a month to 200 new followers a month net. So I was gaining 10 X more followers by being loud and obnoxious than I was from being quiet. I'm like, I freaking can't piss these people off. And I kept trying to like up the game. And then every once in a while, someone would come along and say, you're talking too much. I'm like, not according to these new 180 people that are coming in. It's really weird, man. This whole world of like social media and that is, it's so new. And anybody my age is there, this whole idea is like, is different. Like why would somebody go around and film themselves? Why not? And I get more crap from people my age than I do younger people. Younger people, get they're like, oh, you're just doing what everybody else is doing. Older people are like, you need to stop that off. You're not a teenager anymore. I'm like, the hell with you. <laughs> it's that old saying, it's not the strongest that survive. It's the most adaptable. And that's basically what you just described. And I, I, think, it, I think it's true, mate. And I'm the youngest of five kids and then the youngest by eight years, so. I spent an entire lifetime trying to get like attention from parents and siblings and whatever. Now social media comes out and I can get attention from everybody. So it's like a paradise. The other thing I wanted to mention there is you talked about building a following online and stuff. I noticed like a a pattern from business owners that I'm interviewing. Some business owners have got that have got pen testing firms and stuff like that. And just just in general, just from people I speak to, some of them are like still 
proactive on the winning new business scene. They're always on the lookout for, for better clients, new clients, and, and they're still like really heavily client facing, like what you've just described. And I know for a fact, because I know from work that I'm doing with them on the recruitment side, I know for a fact that they're really busy. Then there's other firms that are, are struggling. And I think it's so true, Matt. I think it's embrace the embrace that kind of sales element. I know firsthand, whatever they say in the press, there's so much business out there. And like you say, it's never a good time. There's always some negative in the news. And I just think, hey, get yourself out there. As long as your intentions are good, I think it's completely cool. Yeah. And, and I, I get this from people because I'm a sales guy at heart and I'm very social and relationship driven to the point where I go out and acquire a a relationship networking company a few years ago because it's what it's, I'm a like a deeply passionate extrovert. You just embrace who you are and just go with it. And I get people every once in a while that'll be like, man, you're the CEO of a 14 year old company. Why in the world are you out selling? And I always go back to this video I saw of Mark Cuban when he bought the Dallas Mavericks and him on the phone making phone calls like, hey, Bob, this is this is Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. I know you used to be a season ticket holder, wanted to talk to you about joining or, or coming back. And people are like, bull crap, man. You're, Mark Cuban is not calling me. Who is this? No, nah, it's Mark Cuban. And he's like, we needed business. We needed that so badly. I'm on the phone. And I'm like, and I've always looked at that. I'm like, I don't really care. You know, I, out of everything I do in life, it's like, how can I increase or improve the relationship? And not because one is I like people, but two, I just, I, I would really want to make sure that we have good, happy clients. And that, that's the best way to do it is to be actively involved with it. And I am as much as possible. And so I, the one thing I'd say, if I'll, I'll just say this because this keeps popping up in my head. You read this whole bio of everything I do, and people are like, man, you must be unbelievably busy. I am a phenomenal delegator. There are times when I'll get an, I'll get an email at 9 o'clock in the morning because I've been up doing whatever all night. I'm like, I got to get my ass out of bed, man. I've been, in, I've been in bed working for three hours. But at some point in time, I got to get my ass out of this bed and I'll get, and I'm dorking around or whatever too, right? It's, you can only work so hard when you're lying in bed and I'll get a, I'll get a message from somebody says, I know you're busy. And I'm like, no, you don't, you don't know I'm busy because actually I'm not as busy now as I was 10 or 15 years ago. It's, and so I, I think ideally the better you get and the more you do, the better a delegator we become all the way down to, I live in Arizona. So you know, I have a swimming pool. I don't clean my own pool. I don't do my own yard. I don't wash my own car. It's I delegate the hell out of everything unless, except for what I absolutely have to do. Or, and even like the sales stuff, I like doing that. And honestly, I'm, I, it's not the best use of my time. I think that's something that people need to realize is like delegate as much as you can and don't be so busy you can't take on new things. And Tab, what's the rule for that? If it's not a high value task, don't do it. Get someone else to do it. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of things like I don't even like my clothes are all dry clean, right? And people laugh at me and I'm like, I'm not doing, I'm like, I can go to my wife and say, well, you do my laundry. And she, you know, she'll be like, I sure as heck can, but you're asking the wrong question. Will I do your laundry? And I'm like, because the answer is no, you're a grown ass man, go do your own laundry. But can I do it? Yeah. And, and so it's, I don't want to do it. So I have other people do it. And so anything I can do that I don't have to do so I can go out and do what is going to 
be the greatest value I'm going to do. Like I said, there are a few things like selling that I love doing that honestly, I probably shouldn't be doing as much as I do. There are things I wish I could outsource like exercise. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Hey, how much is a guy? Yeah, I don't really want to hire a trainer. I just want the trainer to just make me look good. That would be a cool Talk about a billion-dollar business right there. I was going to say, man, that's a very quick way to become a billionaire. <laughs> All right, Tabs, we've talked quite a lot about Calibre Security. Acquiring Network Live, how did that come about? What's it all what, What's it all about? What problems is it is it solving? I know it's been on, online a lot later, but tell us what goes down there. I know you're, you're into this, and I know when we were talking, you just come off the back of a big event, and it sounded like yeah. you had a, a lot of fun. But, yeah, t- tell me and the listeners what that's all about. So I, I am notorious for taking a short story and making it long. So I'll do my best not to do that to you. There, there's this whole backstory, and, and we may get into it, about how I started, how I wrote my book. But I'll just tell you that I, I wrote this book, and this, the, the book that you had mentioned called Upsurge. And that was really, I wrote that book as, as therapy. It started off as therapy, right? And then when I finally was like, Realized I was writing a book and I went to an editor and editor, editors, you need to decide if this is a self-help or a biography. And I'm like, I don't have to decide anything, man. I'm like, I don't care if anybody buys the book. I, write, I wrote this for me. But what happened was, is that I started getting a lot of business owners and other people that were coming to me saying, hey, I've had problems. I've had these things. Have, would you consider starting a group? And, and I started a group at about 12 people in it and I did it for free. And then I had other people come along and were like, hey, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be part of it. I'm like, I'm no longer doing it for free because it's, it was a lot of work. So I started a second one. We had about 25 total members. And me being me, I was like, we had to do this in the midst of COVID too. We should throw a conference. So we threw a conference with refiners. I had 25 members. Everybody's, you're nuts. And I'm like, man, whatever, who cares? We had, we sold a th- our 900 tickets, 100 on-site, nine, or 800 online. And it, we had 16 speakers. And it was phenomenal. With these, like this whole other like life started because of that. And it was not intentional. And there's all these things, just as a little asterisk or side note, there's all these things that when you do something big and massive, that you don't see as the outcome or as the benefit that show themselves if you go the distance. And and for me, what that was is it aligned me with some very heavy speakers, heavy hitter speakers, and and some really heavy people in industry and sports. But one of the sponsors was a company called Networking Phoenix. And Networking Phoenix came to us afterwards and said, hey, we, we're looking at selling. Could you help us find a buyer? And the more I tried to help them find a buyer, the more I came back and went to my wife and said, I think I want to buy it. And she's, if you're going to buy it, I want in on it too. And I'm like, man, I was in my damn business. I'm just joking. But that's, I actually think I said that to her, but I was like super happy that she wanted to do it. But we just, we flip each other a lot of crap and have a lot of fun. And so I'm always like, why well, I was in my damn business. And she's like, if you do stuff, if you do stuff the right way, I wouldn't have to do this. And we can't, anyway, but we have this great, we really do have a great relationship. It's a lot of fun, but we acquired networking Phoenix and we were like, okay, we don't want to be just in Phoenix. We want to be national, ultimately international refiners has members in Germany, India, and some other places. And so we really looked at it and went, we want to go national or, or potentially international. So we changed the name to Network Live 
and just started to first and foremost, learn what it was we had acquired because what we had acquired versus what we wanted to do were different things. And it took us almost two years before we went, you know what, the things that made this company money and what we acquired, we're not really interested in doing, we're interested in doing something else. And so we basically have dragged members along with us. And some members are like, we don't want to do that and everything in between. And so we did our first conference on September 30th. And the side on this was, I remember when we were done, I was like, okay, we're going to do it again next year. But man, this is a lot of work and we lost a lot of money, but, but we came out of it and we had all these other cities that were like, would you consider bringing it to our city? And so now we've got I think five cities were taking it to, and that was never in the plan. And so now we've got the Summit City Series. So hopefully we'll flood the hell out of the internet and piss everybody off with that. Which five cities are you going to? Prescott, Arizona, Yuma, Arizona, Tucson. Oh, it's four plus, oh, and El Paso, Texas. And the fifth, which isn't a city, it's a woman's conference that a woman's group wants to help have us help put that together. I think the thing is, Tom, it's like you mentioned relationships about 15 minutes ago, and it's like everything in life is, is about forming, networking, building relationships. When I think about the different pen testers I've had on business owners, everything is about networking and who, and like you mentioned, delegating, you can't build anything really special on your own. And that boils down to relationships as well and i suppose that's what uh, network life's all about it's facilitating people to build uh, and enhance their quality of relationship building ultimately just network really well yeah and we originally started off where it was a networking community and we would do a business mixer and we'd get people that would show up and you'd have a conversation with somebody and somebody would walk up and just here's my business card and they would just and i was like dude i don't even know who you are man you're giving me your card you want me to do business with you and, and so we quickly were like, we're moving beyond the business card. It's all about relationships. And we still do mixers, but we use mixers as a lead generation tool for our coaching, mentoring, training courses. And we've got a coaching program called Mastery Alliance, which was built completely on the, the recovery of my business and what that took and the experience I had that I outlined in my book. And that's where we're really going. But when we do these mixers in that, it's all about, man, come in and build like really strong, great relationships. Thanks, Tav. In, you mentioned the book there, and I want to get into that now. So Upsurge, Wreckage to Triumph, Rebuilding Your Personal and Business Life. Mm-hmm. I've got an extract here that I was reading. It was talking about after some, you'd had some great, fruitful business growth, couple of acquisitions, business was booming, right in the hard time, high times. And then, yeah, things went badly wrong. Someone advised you to shut the doors. For you, that just wasn't an option. You had to really grind. And, and, and for everyone listening, like for anyone that is going through tough times at the minute, and there's a lot going on in the world at the minute, it's a very crazy world right now. So I'm sure there's people out there going through a tough time. So I'd like to talk about the book, but I'd also like to talk about the tough times you've been through, how you cope with them how you got through them. And yeah, that would be really nice to hear, mate, how how all that went down. So I'll say this, there's, I'm actually, I don't know how far through, let's say 60% of the way through my second book. And and much of that was spawned from rereading my 
book because I had this woman come up to me and was like, oh my gosh, when you said this in the book, it just resonated with me. And I'm like thinking, I look at my wife and I'm like, I don't even freaking remember writing that. I should probably go back and read my book. And it scared the hell out of me because the things that made me successful in the book, I had stopped doing because I had started to go back to some of those old patterns. But what spawned the kind of everything was we, and it's interesting because I tell people this story and sometimes like, how did you not know? But long story short, we were about three quarters of a million dollars in debt, a, a million total, including my own debt of money I'd put back into the company and that. And before I realized the severity of it, I knew we had debt. I wasn't an idiot. I just didn't understand the severity of it. And so finally, our, we had a... a a CPA who's now the president of, of Caliber, and he's one of them that stuck with me. And during this whole time, and he finally got through to me just the, like the severity of it all. And of course, then I go through this whole, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I'm a failure. What made me think I could do this? It's all of the things that you feel when life just isn't even remotely close to what you want it to be. And the reason people will say, oh, I think it's so great that you didn't file bankruptcy and you fought the good fight. And, and I'm like, wait a second, let's be clear. My, my objective was to pay the IRS off. We owed them a quarter of a million dollars and it was to pay the IRS off and then to file bankruptcy. Because it was my best chance of paying, the, my best chance of paying the IRS a quarter of a million dollars was to, to get my company to the point where I could pay that and be done. But what happened along the way is I realized that I was actually really good at business recovery and I had created this like muscle I didn't know I had, this strength I didn't know I had. And I reached a point where I went, you know what, it's going to take a long time and it, and. It's funny because in retrospect, I look and I'm like, man, it didn't take that long, but it sure seemed like it when you're living it. And But I just got really good at recovery and what it took to recover from something massive like that. And yeah, I just got really good at it. And so once we paid the IRS off, I was like, we're not going to stop. We're going to just, we're going to go on to a full-on recovery. But it wasn't like, I didn't go on to a full-on recovery because I wanted to be like, I'm going to be a good American and I'm going to pay off my debts. So it was like, Nah, man, I figured out something and I learned I could do it and be profitable and get back on my feet quickly. It was a selfish bastard move. It was nothing else. But along the way, I became really good at a few things. And, and when I was done with everything, I realized that I was a much better business owner, much better leader, uh, everything. So it was. I would not recommend it to anybody, but it was definitely... Thanks for that as well. And thanks for all the details. Yeah, it's true. Like only... I always think little things like when everything's going, are you really learning anything? I think we learn a lot and grow a lot in the bad times. And also, I think anyone can do well in a, in a, in a, in a boom market when it's riding high. I think that's quite easy. I think a true test of character and ultimately to sustain, sustain success, you've got to be able to, to get through those times, which you clearly have, mate. Tab, one thing you said about five minutes ago, you went, I read the book back and I realized I'd stopped doing all the things that made me successful what are those things that you stopped doing that you needed to start doing again that the listeners could do that make you successful? <laughs> so the, there's this great ability that when you have to do certain things, as an example, like I knew that I, I would go to our, our accountant at the time and I'd say, like, how much money do we, they, and this is a real thing. How much money do we need in the next two weeks so we can make payroll? <laughs> 
And it would be something like, because we didn't have as many employees then because we let people go and people got scared and left. They would say, I don't know, I'm going to make up a number. We need $25,000 cash in the next two weeks, whatever. And he, I would say, okay. And he goes, but we need another 10 on top of that, or again, whatever, to pay down the debt that we're that we promised to do. Okay, so we need 35. And how much of that do I get? No, you don't get any of that. What if I want something? How much do you want? Well, how much do I want? That's different. And often I wasn't getting paid anything. But what happened was, is I get really good at saying I need $35,000 and not of actual cash in hand and or cash in the bank. And I would go out and I would get it and I knew exactly what I needed to do. And I was incredibly detailed and focused. And what happened was, is over time, as things got better, I was able to get lazy, right? I was, I would had this whole program that I followed where I would complete a minimum of 80 to 90% of everything I did every day, every week, every month after month during the year, and which ultimately became Mastery Alliance. And I do use it today for everything. And But early on, it was like, man, I got to be really detailed and really focused. And I have to live a life. I have to have my mindset in the right way. And so I realized that majority of us live in sustain mode, which is I just, I do the thing. I live the life until I just want to be able to at six o'clock go home and watch Netflix, right? That's where most of us live. And then some of us are shoved into survival mode and, and survival mode is a blessing because that's when you really feel life. And that's when you really experience and you really grow and you do things. And I spent over two years in survival mode and like it was unbelievably painful. And then I left survival mode telling myself I'm never going to go back to sustain mode. And then slowly but surely as things go, you drift back in there. So now what I do is I live my life in a simulated survival mode. And I coined the term for my book called Struck Gold. Not that it's struck gold in like a literal sense of God, I'm rich, but like you live a life of prosperity, but you act like you're in survival. And then you're able to actually accomplish some pretty phenomenal things. And so that's what I try to do now is I live my life like I'm one step away from screwed. And I'm not works. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. And also, I, th I think it's the way you look at things. Though. You said survival mode it, 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 it is a blessing. Some people will be getting all negative and down in the dumps. You're seeing it as a blessing and you're pretending you're in it now when you're not, which is constituting to sustain success. So I think it's a really good point to take. In the, you've given us a few really good key learnings out of the book there. For anyone listening that's not read the book, maybe they're thinking about reading it, what else are they going to are they going to get from it if they if they have a read, mate? I, it's funny because there's parts of the book that I looked at after I wrote the book and I was like, man, I, I should take that out. That just sounds like way over emotional, weird and whatever. And I was like, nope, that was what I felt at the time. And I, I, I want that rawness to be there. And it was everything from what my life was like at the start to the experience of going through it all the way through to this is what I have to do in order to be successful. Then on the other end of it, being, being out of it. So it really took the journey of what was it like to just 
really be in a bad spot. And and the one of the things that just still makes me laugh is I mentioned the relationship I have with my wife being just amazing and strong and everything else. And I leaned on her heavy and she so I had her as an outlet. She didn't have an outlet. She couldn't go to somebody and just go, my life is screwed and my husband's doing blah. And I would, because I'd come home and blah. And then I'd ask her, I said, would you write the first chapter of my book? And she said, yeah, I'll do that. And I read it. And it wasn't this bad. I, I, like, I embellish it. But I was like, oh, really? You were there too? I'm joking. But like, I had no idea like the pain that she was going through during this whole thing. So... I think that you also get that side is the other person's experience with it. And, but there, there were things like probably the weirdest thing that happened to me was early on. And it just freaked me out, gave me hope, but freaked me out. And that was when I first found out like just how bad things were, I, I would go to work. And I would fake to everybody at work. Hey, how's everybody doing? Great. I'd go to my office. and be like, like that wasted all my energy that I had just to put on a front. And, and so then I'd go home at night and I would just sit in front of the TV set. I wouldn't, the TV would be on, but I wouldn't watch it. I was just like in my head. And I did that for two weeks. I'd spend the entire weekend just in my head and just like, just in a really bad, dark spot. I think about two weeks went by and I I just had a really good day and I was like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. And so I wrote a letter to myself called like Happy Tab or something. It's in my book and it's like super corny. I wanted to pull it out. And I was like, I think I need to leave it like that. Right. And every time I read it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, man. But whatever. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to go back under and it's going to be horrible. But I need to write this so I can read this to myself. And I think the thing that, that really came out of it for me was just how much our mind, this is no duh tab, but you had, I thought you might've been slightly intelligent until the statement, but our mind controls us. I mean, it's this, and just how much like we can shift that. And, and I tell people this all the time. It's I'm like, I'm, I, at one point in time, I weighed like a hundred pounds more than I weigh now. And I lost this weight. People are like, that's amazing. How did you, and I say, I went from eating two Big Macs a day to one Big Mac. And then I went to zero Big Macs. And I joke about it, but I really started by just, maybe I shouldn't do that. And then I got better. But what I'm going through this whole, like, full body transformation now that's going to take me a long time to get back to where I want to be or to get where I want to be. But with the body, when we've made these mistakes, it takes us time to get to, to recalibrate our mind we can recalibrate like almost instantaneously. We have to work at it, but it's so much better than the body and what the body has to go through in order to go through a complete transformation. The mind can go through it. And if you work at it, you can keep it. And that's the thing that people need. And like my next book is titled Outlast Everything. And I'm building this entire like program around Outlast Everything. And it really is that we are, as humans, great starters and horrible finishers. And if we can just teach ourselves that we can outlast anything and how to, and that there's a process of doing that, then it doesn't, none of it matters. We can create the mindset that, okay, I'm going to finish this because I finish everything. And that builds strength and, and, and gives 
really our thoughts something to latch on to. Thanks, Tali. Like I'm listening to you there. It's, there's just so many life lessons in there in, in general. And I suppose ultimately what you're saying as well is there's a, I've heard complacency kills and it's so true. It's, I think when things are going well as well, it's so easy to fall into that trap. What you've explained there. But I, I like that, mate. And outlast everything. When's that going to be ready? Oh. <laughs> The the irony of having a book called Outlast Everything that you're damn near going to have to outlast everything to finish it. This, that is not lost on me. I, I've got two goals. One is the spring, the wishful thinking goal, and the one I'm really shooting for is end of year. But I don't know that I, with everything I got going on, that I can pull that off. But that's the goal. If I can get a week's worth of free time, I'll have it done. Okay. And it doesn't oh, have to be a together but yeah this is a timeline let's have a couple more questions mate and then i'll let you go because i know you say you're great at delegating but i'm sure you're pretty busy yeah i'm busy man no i'm not i'm good (laughs) so book podcast that's had the biggest most positive impact on your career to date you You can't say yours (laughs) yours oh you mean don't say my book exactly Um, yeah you can't say yours well you can if you want (laughs) I don't think I would say that for a couple of reasons. One, I had to live the damn thing. There's, I'm a big fan of books that really require me to think at a deep level. And I do so much reading that there's oftentimes I'll read a book and I'll get into it. And I'm like, man, this is total crap. And I'll put it down. There's a guy named Naveen Jain. And Naveen is the founder of Viome, which measures the microbiome of your gut, the founder of Moon Express, which I think, I don't know exactly, but it's something like the only company that has the U.S. authorization to leave Earth's orbit and mine for something or other on the moon or on some Mars or whatever, but two very different companies. And so he was, he's been like a real big supporter of the Network Live community. He was one of our speakers. And the reason why his book is called Moonshots. And the reason why I like it is because every time I talk to this guy, he comes up with the most absurd things, right? Like somebody was like, it doesn't rain enough in Arizona. How how could we fix that? And he starts talking about if you, if, maybe if we were to put up like, mirrors that reflected that and i'm just like dude you're out of your freaking his thought process is just like a little kid's except he's like a multi-billionaire that has done just insane things but his whole book is based around how do you do a moonshot business how do you do something that is so massive and so big that it impacts billions of people and i'm not there yet with it which is probably one of the reasons why i'm enamored by that book But, and one of the reasons why I'm that way with him is because he's been, I don't want to say, he's been instrumental in in helping. He was the one that got me, like we're doing that last conference, the one with refiners and, and, and I'm sitting in front of him. I've got all this stuff going on, had all this experience and at Caliber and I'm thinking I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I'm a failure. My business was... But that was the label I had given myself. And I told him that the day I found out that I was at the, in that debt was the worst day of my life. And he chastised me in front of all of our people and said, don't do that because what you think is the worst day of your life, you're labeling and it might be one of your better days. And I just was like, oh, crap, like the, the like that, that flip or that switch flipped. 
And I went, that all that crap was like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And I didn't notice it. So that's why I love that guy. I, I think he's beyond brilliant and is somebody that anybody should really look into. And that's again, Naveen Jain, who wrote Moonshots. I should get yeah, a computer. Sometimes I tell that freaking like about that book. No tab and, and for people listening, we'll get all these things in the in the show notes. So um thank you for that, my friend. I'm just gonna ask you one more question about mentors and um the importance of them, how to get them. I think they're intrinsically linked to to, to success. I think they're pretty important. What's your, what's your thoughts? Say that again. I'm not sure I understood the question. Yeah, anymore. but just mentor. If I'm looking for a mentor, do you think mentors are important for success and if I'm looking for a mentor, how would I go about getting one for anyone that's listening? So, okay. So, yeah. So mentors are incredibly important and, and you have to be okay outgrowing mentors, right? Because somebody who's a mentor for you today, they're, they're not going to be a mentor for you forever. And so you just have to be okay with that. But some of the things that I tell people is some of the best mentors that I've ever had, I never met because they, they wrote a book and they died before I was either before I was born or before I found them or whatever. So one of the things I would say is you're going to find mentors in, in books or podcasts or whatever. So that's a great way to find them. The, the other thing is, man, it is easier now than ever to get in touch with people. I talk to people that if you were to look at my phone and you were to see the people that are in my phone, like phone numbers and stuff. I have people like, is that, do you really have that person's number? I'm like, yeah, they're like, how'd you get it? I'm like, I asked. And and that's the messages you, you ask. And don't think that they're too busy to help. Most people that have had a level of success really want to give back and they're not asked. And, but the one thing I would say is if you bother to go through all of the effort to talk to somebody, follow up. It amazes me. And recently I had this guy that was about 22 years old said, Hey man, I read your book. I did this. I saw this, all this stuff. He goes, I I live here in Arizona. I really want to meet you. Could we get together? Can we do, I just, it's taking, and he told me, he goes, it's taking a lot of effort for me to just ask. And I'm like, I'm glad you asked. First of all, I'm not that impressed with myself. So you don't have to be that impressed with me either. And I said, yeah, I said, let's get together, have a cup of coffee and let's talk. I haven't heard from him and it's been months. But why go through all the trouble if you're not going to follow through? And that's my biggest complaint with people is people just don't follow through. Yeah, man, I think it's massive. If I relate it to business activity and recruitment, it's absolutely everything and it needs to be tracked and it needs to be organized. And yeah, mate, it's, it's so important. Tab, this has been Honestly, mate, this has been really good. I knew it would be. That's why I was badgering you to come on. So, it's a lot uh, of fun, man. A lot no, of fun. No, honestly, I've, I've enjoyed it. Is there anything we haven't covered, mate? Or do you think we've, think we've about nailed it? Or? I think we nailed it, man. I can't think of anything else. I could talk for days about whatever, but I think we nailed the, the cool stuff. Yeah, good. Tab, thank you for that, mate. Really enjoyed it. I got loads from it. I know the listeners would have as well. So thank you, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.